All right, let's grab our Bibles, if you would, please, and go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 8 is where we'll be at tonight. Acts chapter number 8. Last week, we preached about resisting the Holy Spirit, and uh, that's never a good thing to do, is uh, to resist the Holy Spirit. But uh, remember, Stephen was uh, standing there, and he was... uh, supposed to be on trial himself, supposed to be given an account, but he ended up being the prosecutor, as you would say, in the words in which he said, and he began to call all of them out about uh, what they were doing and saying, listen, you're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. You're the ones uh, that did all of this. The problem's not with me. The problem is with you. And uh, so Stephen uh, was very bold in his life there, and we talked about how resisting the Holy Spirit uh, is nev- never a good thing, but that's what they did because their fathers before them had uh, started turning away from things, and uh, then all, all of a sudden, here's what happens is now uh, he's telling them all, you know, listen, y'all are acting all this way, and people are always just trying to go through a religion, and uh, they get mad when you tell them their religion's not right, and uh, he called them all out and exposed their false teachings and their false doctrine and uh they got mad and they stoned him and uh we're getting uh ready to see what happened but i want you to look also at something in uh acts chapter 1 verse number 8 we're going to be in acts 8 tonight but in acts 1 8 it said but ye shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem and in judea and samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth now why did i want to bring up that verse tonight and I'll tell you why because the Bible says there that he said that they would receive power after the Holy Ghost came upon them and we know that the Holy Ghost came upon them there in chapter 2 and uh, Pentecost happened and thousands of people got saved and uh, as we were reading through all throughout uh, these passages of scripture then you've had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are getting saved, and it said in daily, uh, they were added unto the church, such as should be saved, and revivals taking place, and all of this, but all the way up to where we are right now, all of this is taking place in Jerusalem. They hadn't gone to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth yet. All of these things are taking place right here in Jerusalem. Now, that's a good note to understand, is listen, before we can ever reach the world, we've got to be able to reach where we are right here. Uh, this is our Jerusalem. We got to be able to reach uh, where we're at. Uh, this is our mission field in the Martinsburg and the surrounding areas, and we ought to be missionaries to this area. But Acts, the word Acts actually means action. And uh, listen, this is the gospel put to action. And in Acts chapter number 8, uh, we're going to look at some things here. I'm not going to have you stand for sake of time tonight, but I do want to look at some verses this evening. We're going to read down. I'm not going to read through all of it. I'll skip some verses but we are going to read through this tonight and uh, kind of share some thoughts with you. And, uh, but all the way up to where we are right now, uh, they're still in Jerusalem. And in chapter 7, verse 59 and 60, look what it says. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. See, all of them, they, it said they laid their coats down at a man named Saul's feet, and they stoned him with stones. And now look at uh, chapter 8 and verse number 1. It said, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Now, Saul's a very familiar person in the Bible. Uh, he wrote most of the New Testament. 
and uh, we'll get to that here in just a little while. But Saul was consenting unto his death, it said. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions. Now wait, look where it says, of where? Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the, the, I want to preach to you tonight on the gospel will go on. And I'm going to talk to you about some areas that uh, it seems kind of odd that God would use this type of thing to get the gospel to move from Jerusalem out into Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But here it is now, the church is being scattered. Why? Because they're going through great persecution. It says here that this was a time where there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And I got to thinking about this, how, how odd it is. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them, You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, but as of right now, all that we've heard about with Pentecost and all the things that we're doing is all taking place in this area of Jerusalem. All these people are being saved. And now Stephen was just stoned. Saul is now getting ready to be, he's on the war path to destroy the, the children of God. And let's continue to read what it says. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, look what it says, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. Now, wait a second. The persecution was intended to do what? To stop the preaching, wasn't it? The persecution was there uh, in, in the intent of the, those doing the persecuting was Saul wreaking havoc amongst the church going into people's houses and dragging them out of their homes and placing them in shackles and saying, listen, you're not going to do this anymore. And Saul's thinking he's doing a great work and he's trying to stop the work of God. And, but it's backfiring on them because it says as they were spread abroad, they went out preaching the word. And God's using this area to show us, I believe, that it doesn't matter what comes our way, the gospel's never going to be squelched. The gospel's never going to be silenced. The Bible says the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Listen, they can try all they want to, to to silence the church, but no matter how much, God was using this in this area to scatter it and to get the gospel to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And as I was reading through this, I began to think, uh, man, that word, he, would, he made havoc of the church. I don't think that meant he knocked on the door and said, listen, you need to politely stop what you're doing. I don't think that's what Saul was doing. Could you imagine in America, and listen, it, it's not going to be very long till they start telling us we're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus. It's not going to be very long. It's just on the outskirts. They're doing things like this in Canada and all surrounding us. And understand, they're trying to criticize the church and silence the church. Why? Because any time the gospel is brought forth, the Holy Spirit does exactly what He does best. And He pierces the heart of men and women. And He draws them to Himself. And people get saved. They can't help it because the gospel's powerful. It's the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel's preached. And any time the gospel's preached, Satan does everything he can to silence it. And there's going to come a time they're going to try to silence us. 
But could you imagine if they came up to your house and knocked on your door and opened the, and you opened your door and somebody says to you, hey, I have a question, are you a Christian? And you say, yes, I am. And immediately they grab you and put you in shackles and take you down and throw you in a paddy wagon and go to your neighbor's house and knock on that door. And they say, hey, are you a Christian? And they say, yes. And they drag them out of their house and their family. And they go to put all of them in jail. These are the kind of things that Saul was doing. Saul was arresting people, going into their houses and causing havoc and dragging them out of their homes and putting them in prison. Now, listen, they're not the same kind of prisons we have today. You know, these are kind of prisons that you don't want to go to. These are the kind of prisons that aren't very fun. Nowadays, you get an education when you go to prison. You go to prison, you became a stronger criminal when you left. Why? Because you got to bodybuild and do everything else while you were there, watch TV and get an education, get online, do all these things. But that's not the kind of prisons these people were dealing with. There was uh, some problems that the church was going through. And all of this is taking place because God uses unlikely and unorthodox methods just to show his, his power amongst uh, the world. And understand, it's kind of a, an odd thing for persecution to spread the gospel out but that's exactly what's taking place because of the gospel firstly the gospel went on through Saul's opposition to the church through Saul's opposition to the church the gospel still went forth and look what it says in verse 4 therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word preaching the word They went everywhere preaching. That means everybody they came in contact with and everywhere they went, guess what they did? They preached Jesus. That's all they knew to do. See, we have so many winds of doctrine out there today. These people, all they knew about was preaching Jesus. They said, listen, we're preaching about the Lord. When we don't know what else to say, all we do is preach Jesus. When you don't know what to say, preach Jesus. If you try to be philosophical in everything that you're trying to say and act smarter than all this, you know, it's not by our oration that draws men to Christ. It's about the power of the gospel and the word of God. And that's what they preached is they preached the word everywhere they went. And then look, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ Unto them, Philip's a very well-known person. Remember, they sought out seven men of honest report. Philip's one of those guys. Stephen was just stoned. Philip's there now. Philip's preaching Christ unto them. And where is he? In Samaria. See, remember the verse, Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth, you understand the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Jews didn't like being around the Samaritans. But here's Philip, and Philip is in Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. And look what it says, verse 6. And the people, with one accord, gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So people were believing this truth about Christ that Philip is preaching, and even through Saul's opposition, the gospel is being spread out now, not just in Jerusalem where it was, but now it's in Judea, and it's in Samaria, and by the end of the chapter we're going to read it's in the uttermost parts of the earth, and we're going to talk about that when Philip goes somewhere else, and we're going to address this, but God used it through Saul's opposition. And it's amazing things sometimes in our life when opposition happens. I want us to look at those oppositions as opportunities. 
Those oppositions aren't things that ought to hinder us and slow us down from preaching the gospel. They ought to be opportunities for us to show God's grace and power through the opposition that comes. And that's exactly what they were doing. Do you think they were afraid? Sure they were. Why? Because none of them probably wanted to go to jail. None of them probably wanted to be pulled away from their families. None of them probably wanted to spend that time. But Saul was creating havoc in the church. And some of them were fleeing. And as they were going, they were giving the gospel where they went. And it was backfiring on Saul. Rather than, uh, could you imagine if they uh, had this great plan to say, listen, we can't let them leave here because if they leave here, they're going to infect everybody else around. So we just got to keep them harnessed in this area and try to stop them here. No, what they did is they chased them and everywhere they went, guess what? Instead of harnessing it and stopping it, they were helping spread it. And through Saul's opposition, the gospel's going forward now in Judea and Samaria and all of these things. And God used Saul's opposition to show us that the gospel will go on even through opposition. And we need to understand opposition is going to take place in our life. You ever uh, talk to somebody and, man, they got fighting mad at you when you mentioned that you're a Christian. Or you mentioned the name Jesus and they get mad at you. You know what I think is funny, Brother Guy? I had a guy get mad at me one time because I talked to him about the Lord. But he used the Lord's name in about 14 sentences. He used it improperly, but he used his name. And when he got done, I said, you know, for somebody who got mad about me talking about Jesus, you sure used his name a whole lot. And that made him even more mad. You know, the thing is, the world doesn't like it when we talk about Jesus because Satan doesn't like it when people hear about Jesus. Because when they hear about Jesus, they're pricked in their hearts. We've heard about that on the last couple of Sundays when uh, Acts, in Acts when Paul spoke to Felix. And we'll get to that later on in the, in the chapters as we go through Acts and Festus and all those. It said, man, they were pricked in their hearts. Why? Because that's what the gospel does. When the word of God comes, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints in the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen, if you're in this room tonight and you're saved because of uh, the, the Bible, which was brought to you, by the way, that's the only way you could have been saved is if the word of God was brought to you. If you trusted Jesus as your savior, it's because the word of God penetrated your heart. You realized you were a sinner in need of a savior. The Holy Spirit drew you into himself and you, by faith, received the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you got saved, Satan lost another one. And Satan got, gets mad about that. Heaven rejoices, Satan gets mad. And Satan goes on the war path. And there's a lot of people that get deceived by all these false doctrines and things that are going on. But even through Saul's opposition, Saul thinks, you know what? If I can get out there and stone the rest of them, or if I can... Get them all in jail. You know, we'll stop all this madness that's going on. But you know, as we read down through, I can't wait till the next chapter because the next chapter is where the road of Damascus, when Saul's on that road to Damascus and he uh, meets God face to face. But Saul's now wreaking havoc on the church and I believe Saul thought he was doing a good work. I believe Saul thought he was, he was doing the right thing but even through Saul's opposition, the gospel still went on. Look at verse 7. It said, For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. 
And many taken with palsies that were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the last to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. But see, not only was there Saul's opposition, but there was satanic oppression. Satanic oppression. It said that there was evil spirits. And then here's this man in these verses that we're reading about Simon that before time it said in the city used sorcery, sorcery and bewitched people of Samaria. So there was Saul's opposition back here in Jerusalem that was scattering the gospel and it was going forward. And now Philip's here in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. The evil spirits are fleeing and, and, and leaving. Why? Because anytime there's satanic oppression and the Holy Spirit shows up, Satan goes on the run. That's why the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do you resist him? You resist him with what? The Word of God. You resist Him with the Word of God in prayer. See, it's very important for us to put on the whole armor of God. Satan runs from this book. Satan cowers down from this book. You know why? Because in the book of Matthew, he was stabbed with it. When he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, three times uh, Jesus whipped it out and stabbed Satan. It is written. It is written. It is written. And that's what we can still do today. When that satanic oppression comes, by the way, if you're a child of God, you cannot be possessed by Satan. But you can be oppressed by Satan. There's a difference. See, possession means that that's the one that controls you. You're possessed by him. He indwells, really, as you would think about it, what a possession is. If you possess something, it belongs to you. But guess what? When the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you can't have the Holy Spirit and Satan living in the same place. Why? The Bible says no man can serve two masters. You can't have them both. And the fact that matters, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, and Satan can't possess where God possesses. But he can oppress you. And Satan was oppressing the people of Samaria. But then Philip comes. And begins to preach Jesus. And back here in Jerusalem, uh, through Saul's oppression, man, the gospel's being spread now. People are running, and they're going through Judea, and they're going through Samaria, and they're preaching the word of God, and people are believing, and they're getting saved, and all of this is taking place. Now, Philip is doing a great work here in Samaria, and he's uh, doing just a great job, and uh, all he's preaching Jesus Christ unto them, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did and even the uh it said and even for the unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them because they have to come out when the people believe in christ they have to leave whenever christ shows up and the fact is i i thought about uh, the maniac of gadara i remember uh that that story in the bible about the gatherings when jesus walked on the shore there and there was that man possessed of devils and remember what the, the devil said, what those uh, demonic beings said when Jesus walked up? They said, torment me not. Don't, don't torment us, just let us, let us go into the swine. 
And it just shows you the, the great authority that Jesus had. He's God in the flesh. And even the, the devils that are possessing these people have to obey when Jesus speaks. So when they believe in Christ and that Holy Spirit takes up residence, when he comes in there, I like to say, he kicks out the devil. Get out of here. Boom. Why? Because I own this now. This is my turf, my area. You can't come here. And you know what? I'm glad for the fact that when I got saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence and Satan can't possess me. But you know what? He tries to oppress us all the time. And that's what he was doing in Samaria through satanic oppression. He was doing all those things. Verse 11, and said unto him, they had regard because that long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. They thought this Simon guy was just somebody special because he had great power. Listen, he didn't have power. The devils in him had power. You understand, Satan's a powerful being. He can disguise himself as an angel of light. But the fact is, you and I are no match for Satan on our own. But with Jesus, Satan's no match for us. But oftentimes, we, we cower because of Satan. You understand that if you claim the blood of Christ on Satan, he has to run. He has to go away. He has no authority. Even in Job's life, he could only do what God allowed him to do. Let's quit giving the devil so much credit and understand that he has to obey God. When God tells him something, he has to listen. You know why Satan destroys people's lives? It's because they allow him to. Because they allow him to. Why don't people uh, get on fire for God and, man, want revival happening in their life? I'll tell you why. Because satanic oppression in their life. He distracts them from other things because he's there oppressing the situation around them. Why? Because he doesn't want them to grow in the things of God. Satan tries to do it, and because people have no desire to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind, which is that first and great commandment, Satan wins a lot of battles. He wins a lot of battles in the Christian life. But it's not because Satan is more powerful than God. Because Satan has no power over God whatsoever. The reason is because we allow Satan to oppress us and to basically guide us along the way. See, when it says he's as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, that means you have to give him permission to devour you. He has the ability to devour every one of us. But the only way that he can is if you allow him to. So the gospel's going on. He said in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, that's what God told them he wanted. But now, all the way up to chapter 8, they've been in Jerusalem, and now Saul's opposition to the church begins to scatter the people. Now they're going to Judea and Samaria, and Philip's here in Samaria, and satanic oppression was there, but he began to preach Jesus. People began to be saved. Those devils began to flee. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, did you see the order there in that verse? Did it say they were baptized and then believed Jesus? Did it say they were baptized first? No. Every time in Scripture when somebody is saved, baptism always follows 
salvation. You don't use baptism for salvation. Baptism is after salvation, identifying what took place in your life. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, identifying as God in God's family. But it said when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, they had to have that belief. It said, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. Hold on a second. A man that used sorcery? A man that, that was controlling people because of this sorcery that they thought had great power? He hears about Jesus, and guess what happens? God turns his life around because he believes on the Lord Jesus. That just goes to show you, friend, it don't matter how far you've gone. God is willing to receive anyone that will come to him. It's a whosoever will gospel. It's not just an elect group of people that can be saved. Simon is, t- is testimony of that. Here's a man that was possessed of devils that did all of these things, used sorcery, all this. Now he's, he's getting saved. What a blessing. Listen, that, that ought to encourage us to understand that there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. Read Philippians 2. God has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, there's power in the name of Jesus. And they began to preach Jesus, and here Simon, this sorcerer, is getting saved. It said, and he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Verse 14, now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he, he was fallen upon none of them, only they, uh, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, uh, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You know what he was saying to him? He said, here, here, here's this guy who was used to sorcery and used to having this power. And he sees that now these people are getting the Holy Ghost because the apostles, man, they laid hands on him. These people are just getting filled with the Holy Ghost of God. And he said, man, give me that kind of power. I want that. I'll give you money for it. And Peter's trying to tell him, listen, being filled with the Holy Ghost has nothing to do with your money. Being filled with the Holy Ghost has everything to do with God. It has nothing to do with the money in which you have. You're a little confused there, Simon, in this idea that you get the Holy Ghost just by uh, giving somebody money. It's not about money that does it. It's about God himself. I want to jump down. We're going to take some time and finish this here real quick. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which, which is desert. Could you imagine getting those orders from God? 
when you're in Samaria preaching and people are being saved and, man, even a sorcerer's trusting Christ and, man, revival's taking place and people are being filled with the Holy Ghost of God and the work of God is going forward and you think, man, things are going well, things are going great, and all of a sudden God says, hey, time to go. Time to pack up. Time to leave. You know, we could be thinking in our life even about, you know, the work that the MacArthur's have, have been doing for the Lord. And we could say, man, we don't want them to go. But you know what? God says this. It's time to go. Time to leave. And God gives orders we need to obey. God tells us to do something. We need to go. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor forever. And then God said, hey, I need you to go to North Carolina and pastor a church. So I did that. And then God says, hey, I need you to come to Faith Baptist Church. And I came here. And the fact of the matter is, we all ought to be that way. When God says something, we ought to just say, yes, sir, and go. But here he was. Could you imagine after all this revival, all this thing taking place, most people say, well, I want to leave because things are going bad. Man, I don't think <laughs> Philip's here preaching and people are getting saved and he's watching some great things happen and I'm sure he didn't want to go. But there were some strong obstacles that God now placed and he said he sent him to a place that was a desert. Hold on a second, Lord. You want me to go to the desert? I'm in Samaria. People are being saved. Why do you want me to go to the desert? And he arose and went. Wow. God said, I want to send you to the desert, Brother Tom. He tells him that. Go to the desert. Um, God, there's no air condition in the desert. God, I, there's not much water in the desert. Um. God, there's no people in the desert. I'm winning people to God, and you want me to go to the desert. But it says this, and he arose and went. Talk about obedient to the Lord. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of uh, the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now hold on a second. You think God knew this man was going to be in the desert? Sure he did. Why do you think God sent Philip to the desert? You think God sent Philip to the desert just because he wanted to test Philip's strength or test Philip's endurance in the desert no he knew philip would obey because philip went could you imagine if he would have hesitated like most of us would have brother scott we'd have argued with god for a couple months that man would have been all the way through the desert already he's reading isaiah the prophet remember isaiah 53 when he talks about surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows about a Jesus dying on the cross and doing that for you and I and our sins being placed upon him on the cross. He didn't understand what he's reading. And the Spirit tells him, hey, go near and join thyself to that chariot. He said, hey, there's a man up there that needs you to talk to him. I want you to go. And look what it says. And Philip ran thither to him. A strong obstacle, man. Here's the desert in front of him. He could have hesitated, but he went. He did what God said, and now God says, listen, that man needs you to talk to him. And so he ran to that man. Man, I was convicted reading this. Because I thought about times when the Holy Spirit has told me, hey, go talk to that person. And I try to come up with every excuse not to talk to him. 
I've tried to come up with every reason inside of me that, hey, Lord, I, I, they, they don't want to listen. Maybe they, it said Philip ran for the opportunity. Could you imagine if we just run for that opportunity to win somebody to Christ, to share Jesus with them? And he heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except a man should, should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He had led a sheep to the slaughter and a, a, like a lamb, dumb before his shears, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? He said, who is this that he's talking about that was led as a sheep to the slaughter? Who is this person that was doing all of this? Was it the prophet Isaiah? Please explain it to me. Was it somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth. You know, it's a good thing to give the gospel to somebody. You've got to open your mouth. Our problem, most of the time, is we open our mouth at the wrong times, and we say the wrong things. But Philip obeyed God in verse 30, and now in verse 35, he opened his mouth. You know what he said? And he began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Preached unto him Jesus. He told him about who it was that was led as a, as a lamb before his slaughter. As a sheep being brought to slaughter. Who is that lamb? Who is that person? He said it's a man named Jesus. Who was born of a virgin. Who lived sinless upon this earth. Who died on an old rugged tree. Who was buried and rose again. And he taught us for 40 days. And he taught people for 40 days. And guess what? He, he told us what we're supposed to do. And he told us that his power was going to be come down through the Holy Ghost. And I believe he explained all of these things. And said, hey, I just left Samaria. And people over there were being saved. Man, there was a sorcerer named Simon. He got saved. Why? Because I told him about Jesus as well. And listen, I want you to understand who this is talking about. And he preached to him Jesus. Hmm said, and as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. Isn't it amazing? God had provision exactly where they needed, when they needed it. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You notice... He didn't say, hey, let's go baptize you first. Just as what happened earlier. Remember, they believed the word that Philip was preaching and then they were baptized. And now the same thing's happening with this eunuch. He said, hey, here's water. What's hindering me from being baptized? And he said, if thou believest with thy heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water that throws sprinkling out it was an immersion into the water okay they both went into the water both philip and the eunuch and he baptized him and when they were come up out of the water talk about going into the water and coming up out of the water the spirit of the lord caught away philip the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing could you imagine that 
He just gets baptized. Philip baptized him. He comes up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, you did what I told you. Boom, you're gone. And here's that eunuch standing there. Most of us would have been like, well, this is spooky. What's happening here? It said the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why could he rejoice? Because the gospel still went on. Through Saul's opposition, through satanic oppression, through strong obstacles, all of these things, the gospel still went forth. People were being saved. And look what happens now. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. He preached everywhere he went. And just take a guess what he preached. He preached Jesus. And you know what's significant about this is God was using Philip in all these different areas. But here he stops in Caesarea till he came to Caesarea. And I'm not going to turn there now, but when we get to chapter 20, you're going to find out that Paul finds Philip being faithful in Caesarea. 20 years later from what's happening right now, Philip's still there in Caesarea with his children. His, his family's being faithful to God. Why? Just because he was obedient opened his mouth, was willing to follow God, and God used him everywhere he went. And when God finally planted him somewhere and said, this is where you're going to be, he remained faithful in that place. Listen, let me encourage you. If God's planted you in a place, be faithful. Be faithful. If God moves you to an area, preach Jesus wherever you go. Be faithful to the Lord. Follow him. Listen, the gospel will go on. Even when they try to stop us, they try to silence us. Guess what? Through Saul's opposition to the church, God used it to spread the gospel. Through satanic oppression in Samaria, here comes Philip and preaches Jesus and people get saved. Then God puts him in a desert. Here's an obstacle in front of him. How is this ever going to happen? But there's a eunuch passing through that God cared enough about one soul to send a preacher to where he was so that he could know Jesus. And he gets saved and baptized, and he went on his way rejoicing. God calls away Philip. He goes through Azotus and all the cities on his way to Caesarea, and he preached the word of God everywhere he went, the uttermost parts of the earth, everywhere he went, all the way to Caesarea. See, God used all of this to take the gospel there, just from not just in Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then you're going to find out later on when Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He gets saved, how God turns him around and he just wins people to Christ everywhere he goes. All these thousands of people being saved, why? Because of one name, the name of Jesus. Listen, there's power in that name. Let me encourage you, just preach Jesus wherever you go. He can turn others' lives around just like he turned your life around. Never forget about what Jesus did for you. It ought to motivate you to get out there and tell people about him. Listen, we can see revival take place in Martinsburg. We can see revival happen in our city. Don't think we can't. See, our lack of faith stops us from doing some things. Listen, the same God in this, this book of the Bible that we're reading is still God today. And he still desires for men to be saved. But we can't preach just some flippant little doctrine. We have to preach Jesus. We have to preach Jesus, for that is the name under which people are saved, the name of Jesus. With our heads bowed and eyes closed.